I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Los Angeles CityCast with Danielle Alvari, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome into your Wednesday edition of the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet Rivers. I'm your host, Danielle Alvari. Very happy to report that UCLA beat Arizona on Tuesday night. I'm going to say it a couple times probably in this show. I'll try to limit myself, but I just thought it was important that we said it again. Um, huge win for the Bruins, as I said, versus number three, Arizona. So all good things there. It's actually funny. I posted a TikTok or a video on you know social media that said, Sorry if you think I'm biased when I bet on LA teams, but I can't help it that they're all good because that's kind of how it is right now. It's funny because the Lakers are barely above 500 right now. They did just beat the Nets, which is cool, uh, but that was without Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving just just Harden in that mix. But they have LeBron James, right? And when Anthony Davis is playing, like that's a team to be reckoned with. That's a championship level team. The Dodgers, championship level team. Are they going to lose a bunch of players in this season or this off season? Yes. But the Dodgers are always good because they can afford to be good. Uh, UCLA, USC basketball, ugh, so fun to watch right now and, and typically fun to watch. Uh, more USC football than anything else uh, on the college football side of things. But in general, I mean, LA just has good sports teams, so it's not my fault that I want to bet them sometimes. But if that's a homer, uh, it's interesting because as some of you may know, I'm actually from the Bay Area. I'm not from Los Angeles. So uh, is it just being a homer if it's your team? I guess it is, right? That's kind of a weird vernacular. Either way, that is fine because I had the Rams money line and I had UCLA money line this week. So let's just let's just keep the homer going. In today's show, uh, first we will preview who the Rams have next. 49ers at the Rams. Bugaboo game. Uh, we're going to bring in Adam Burke to talk about that, get a conversation with him, get his thoughts also on Bengals at Chiefs, of course. Uh, one of our favorite guests to have on the show here. And you can always find him on Twitter at Skating Tripods, and he is all over the VSIN email. You can sign up for that on vsin.com. And then I'm going to get into some UCLA and USC basketball, kind of recap the UCLA Arizona game. USC also just won on Monday, and they host Stanford on Wednesday. Uh, so lots to talk about there. But first things first, we always check out the Los Angeles lines available at Bet River Sportsbook. Let's start with the NFC Championship. 49ers at Rams. Rams, a three and a half point favorite on Bet Rivers right now. Total sitting at 47. It's gotten down to 46 and a half. It's popped right back up. So toggling, toggling just a little bit. Tempting to bet the under here. I wonder, we'll get Adam Burke's thoughts on that. Also, the NBA Clippers, 16 to 1 to win the West, 35 to 1 to win it all. And the Lakers, as I said, who just beat the Nets, which is something, <laughs> are 6 to 1 to win the West and 14 to 1 to win it all win the championship. And then I'm also going to throw some college basketball futures in here. UCLA right now, 20 to one 
to win the tournament and USC 50 to one intrigue. You can find all of these odds and more at bet river sportsbook. Looking for a hot tip to bet on? Check out the new match tips at bet river sportsbook. The new tips feature gives you special insights on player props and match bets for the top tips of the day. Go to Bet Rivers before the game, find your match, and tap the tips icon to see independent research on recent team and player performance. Bet with confidence. Visit the Bet Rivers mobile app or go to betrivers.com and get the top tips of the day. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Playable only in states where Bet Rivers is licensed and in New Jersey at Play Sugar House. Without further ado, let's welcome in VSIN betting analyst Adam Burke back to the show. You can find him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. That was a, a phenomenal divisional weekend. I don't know how this week's uh. going to try to compare, but I think that was the best football weekend we've ever had. And, you know, that Bills Chiefs game might be the best NFL playoff game, maybe the best NFL game ever. Yeah. I know, absolutely. It was funny because I was actually scrolling through TikTok while the game was going on and somebody had was just live on TikTok streaming the game for people who didn't have it. And I thought, oh my God, imagine not being able to watch this game and you're just trying to watch it through like a grainy version on TikTok. But incredible, incredible games. It's funny though, because you say about how great of a weekend it was, but for some people, I think it was like their worst betting weekend, almost probably of the season because we had so many upsets. How did, how did it go for you? Yeah, I had the Bengals plus the three and a half, so that was a nice, nice. start. And then I had the under uh, in the game between the 49ers and the Packers, so that was good. Sunday, not so much. Uh, the biggest play I had was actually Matthew Stafford, and I know we were texting back and forth about this a little bit, uh, was actually Matthew Stafford under 37 and a half pass attempts, and the spike at the end of the what game have, was 38? number 38. So, yeah. you know, it kind of is what it is. That one. I almost bet that, so I had my eye on it the whole game. It, it looked like it had no chance. And then all of a sudden it had a really good chance because they were up 27 to to three and they were just going to run the ball. And then all of a sudden they collapsed and, uh, but you know what, I'll, I'll trade, I guess sometimes I'll trade losing a bet for a game that winds up being pretty exciting. Yeah, it it was, it was, uh, definitely enjoyable. And it's funny because we usually bet sports to make the game more interesting. And in this situation, they didn't even need to bet on these games, but it, it was it was crazy. It's not going to be able to live up this weekend, I don't think, especially because we're going to talk about this game first, 49ers at the Rams. And if you saw how the 49ers offense looked last week, yes, there was snow. Uh, it was not very exciting. So I hope we see something more from them this week. But I think this is going to be a battle of two really good defenses, right? The Rams are favored here at home, uh, minus three and a half. Total sitting 47 now. I believe it dipped down to 46 and a half. It's been going kind of down, kind of back up. So maybe people looking at it under here. And of course, 3.40 p.m. Pacific time start for this on Sunday. These two teams have already played twice this season. It's reminding me of having to handicap Rams and Cardinals because we saw that game three times. And now we're seeing a third 49ers and Rams game. There's also the chaos of the Rams blocking tickets to people who aren't living in the Los Angeles area, which is kind of crazy in its own storyline kind of way. I think Debo Samuel even tweeted about it and said, I can't believe you guys are doing this. But it's probably because the last time that they played there, they completely packed SoFi. Uh, It didn't even feel like a home game for the Rams. So uh, it is interesting to me that the Rams are laying this many points when we've already seen the 49ers beat them twice this season. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, six in a row for the 49ers as well. So they beat them twice this year. They've also won six in a row overall. And, you know, the thing that stood out to me when I started handicapping this game and, and really taking a good look at it, is that in the first meeting where the Rams got beat 31 to 10, 
They only had 5.1 yards per play, and that was with 42 pass attempts against 10 rushing attempts. So typically, you know, you're going to move the ball in bigger chunks when you throw it. They didn't do that very effectively in that game and, of course, only scored the 10 points. In the second game, they had 4.1 yards per play. And obviously they, you know, were – they still had their playoff lives. Kind of, well, they had their division life in the balance. They had a playoff spot already locked up. They had something to play for, but the 49ers wound up having a good game plan. And D'Amico Ryans has had two really good game plans so far here in the playoffs for the 49ers defense. So I don't know if the Rams really have a lot of success offensively in this game. I thought it was interesting last week, you know, again, you and I were texting before the game that, uh, you know, I thought that the way that they had been using Sony Michelle was something that had been really, really effective for them. Then on Sunday, Cam Akers was the only guy they really used, and he was not effective at all. So I wonder if they go back to Sony Michelle here. I wonder if they try to use Matt Stafford a little bit more. I think Sean McVay has got some really big questions to answer. Kyle Shanahan's questions are all on offense with Jimmy Garoppolo, but we know they can run the football. We know that they can have success doing that. I would say from a side standpoint, I do lean with the 49ers. It's not the strongest of plays for me. But what I do like here is the under, because as I just mentioned, the 49ers really shut down that Rams offense in both regular season games. That was with Matt Stafford and not Jared Goff. So to me, I think San Francisco knows how to defend this Rams offense. And I think the Rams defense, which now has Von Miller, which you know obviously has Aaron Donald, who's one of the best ever at his position, and they should get Taylor Rapp back for this one, I would think. I think the Rams are going to be able to slow down that 49ers offense Maybe slow down is is the wrong way to put it because they're slowing themselves down. But yeah, I, there's a not lot of, to do much. There's a lot of familiarity <laughs> between these two teams here. I think the under is the way to go. And one other thing about the side, and you were probably going to ask me about this, but we'll go ahead and, and kind of kickstart that discussion now. Uh, Sean McVay coached maybe the worst second half of all time last week against Tampa Bay. It was ugly, and Kyle Shanahan's done that in the second half of some of his big games as well. I don't know if either one of these coaches are trustworthy enough to really make a play on the side. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's interesting you bring up this coaching dynamic because obviously one of the storylines that everybody talks about all week is Sean McVay versus Kyle Shanahan and how it kind of seems like Shanahan has McVay's number. You said they're 0-6 since 2019, right, uh, for Sean McVay versus Kyle Shanahan. And then he's 3-7 and overall for Shanahan. What is What is it about this matchup? Why does it always seem like it goes in favor of Shanahan here? So I actually heard a really interesting thing. It was from Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. He was on with Adam Chernoff on, on the Covers NFL podcast. The, the name escapes me. But he was talking about how the 49ers use a lot of pre-snap motion and that the Rams use the most pre-snap motion on defense. So you kind of have mm. this chess match here where both teams have guys in motion moving around and all of that. And it seems to favor the offense, and it seems to favor Shanahan in this case where the Rams aren't getting situated, they aren't getting settled, and the 49ers mm. are taking advantage with all that misdirection and all that pre-snap motion that they do. You know, I think about a team like Coastal Carolina in college football. They have pre-snap motion on almost every play. They've had one of the most efficient offenses in the country. I know they play against Sunbelt teams, and they've got a really good quarterback. But the point I'm making here is that pre-snap motion is something that is very, very effective. It kind of confuses the defense a little bit. They're not sure what their assignments are going to be. They're still in motion at the snap, and then you wind up getting those pick plays, those quick throws, you know, the stretch running game, the zone running game that the 49ers like to run. The Rams just, because of their scheme, haven't seemed to match up well. The question is, how do they adjust without reinventing the wheel here, you know, this deep into the playoffs? 
Yeah, I never even thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense too. Is what's the best thing you can do against this Rams defense that is good as it is? Put them off kilter, right? Like make them be a little bit have to second guess themselves, put them in situations to have false starts or whatever or you know, whatever it is that is the situation for them. But I think that's what you have to do against a Rams defense that is strong as this one. And you brought up the addition of Von Miller too. And I think that that's only aided this team. People were wondering how much he was actually going to contribute. He was coming off injury. He's older, but I think he's made a huge impact for this defense so far. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. And of course, that's the difficult thing here in this game is that, you know, Von Miller is at his best when he's rushing the quarterback. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the 49ers are probably going to run the football a lot in this game. They'll take it out of Garoppolo's hands as much as they possibly can. He'll, you know, make the throws he has to, to George Kittle and, you know, get Debo Samuel plays out in space and all of that. That's sort of the thing. How do you deploy Von Miller in this game? Because the reality is you probably need him to be more of a run stopper than you do a pass rusher. That's not necessarily his element. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's a really interesting thing about this game is that, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, the Ram or the 49ers are getting points. They've won six in a row. How can I not take them? But you have to understand the reason why they've won six in a row, why they've been so effective here, and then start to think to yourself, okay, can the Rams make that adjustment? Will they make it? Because they haven't to this point, certainly. But will they do something different in the playoffs to try and throw Shanahan off? I feel like at this point in time, if you're McVay, I think you absolutely have to. Is the question for both sides here, because we trust both defenses pretty solidly, how the offense is going to look? And my question for that is, are there injury concerns? I, we know with Jimmy Garoppolo, how is he going to look uh, in terms of the offense? Is he going to be able to do what he did last time that they played um, and pull out a bunch of points? And that sent the game way over, which I don't think anybody was expecting for that one either. And then on the offensive side for the Rams, like you were just talking about here, McVay seems like he's been shifting his plan with these games week to week. I mean, we saw Matt Stafford under in the game before the Bucks, and then versus the Bucks, he goes way over. Obviously, that's the strategy versus this Bucks, you know, secondary at that point. But they've had issues throughout the season. They were missing tight ends at the start. Then they add OBJ back in. They lose a wide receiver. They come in now, and Cam Akers is just now back in and having trouble holding on to the ball. We see less Sony Michelle. Do you think that McVay is going to take a note from last week and incorporate Michelle a little bit more? I mean, I think from week to week, we've seen different styles of offense coming from this Rams team. Yeah, you know, I, I could almost sort of say, well, I don't, I don't really know how to put this because the the Rams have played very well for long stretches of their first two playoff games. I mean, obviously they played very well against Arizona throughout the game. Then they built that 27 to three lead against Tampa Bay before kind of faltering. I think one of the problems in general with a lot of these younger coaches, I see this all the time with Kevin Stefanski. I think we see it with Brandon Staley. I think we see it with both of these guys, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. The bigger the game, the more they outthink themselves. You know, they, they mm. try to change too much. Stefanski, you know, down the stretch for the Browns, Baker was clearly hurt. He got away from the run way too much. And I realized that the opposition was playing for the run. But sometimes you just have to find more creative ways to run the ball. Put something, some new packages in there to give Nick Chubb different running lanes, to help out the offensive line, do some different stuff. But I think a lot of times these coaches kind of outthink themselves a little bit here. And we know Shanahan's done it. We've seen him do that as a coordinator and also as a head coach. And McVay really did it last week, I think, where – and I hate when coaches do this. You built a 27-3 to lead. Why would you change anything that you've been doing? You know, they right. go into a shell, and then, of course, they let Tampa Bay back into the game. Maybe that was something that McVay can learn from, and certainly mm-hmm. he needs to learn from the previous six games against the 49ers. I don't really know what the answer is for, for either one of these offenses. I mean, 
you know, it's not like you can get Matt Stafford on the move. He's just not a mobile guy. There's there's not much you can do about that. You probably see more Sony Michelle than Cam Akers this week, I would think. But, you know, where's Sony Michelle's head at after clearly getting bypassed last week where Akers right. wound up having a bad game? I, I don't know. And it's it's weird to have two teams this deep into the playoffs in that kind of situation. But your guess is as good as mine, Danielle, and, and maybe that leads to this being a good game for live betting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm really torn on the side because the 49ers one almost seems like a booby trap to me. Uh, and so it's something where I kind of want to see what's going on in game. But I do think I love the under actually on this as well. Just similar to how I almost really like the over in the other game. That's why we're seeing such a high total on that Bengals Chiefs game. Uh, but I really do think that the under is something I'd want to grab beforehand in this game because I think it's going to be a really slow start. Um, when you look at this game in terms of props... It seems like the last couple of games, and this is true for a lot of teams, the Rams have no answer for Debo Samuel. What do you do with him? Uh, I mean, just most recently, 140 total yards and a touchdown in that Week 18 game, not to mention the touchdown he threw. Um, he did take a helmet to the side of his leg in that final offensive play for them last week in that game-winning field goal play. Uh, but other than that, I, I think he's doing okay. So in terms of props, is there anybody you would look at, or even Cup? Like, I know the 49ers, like a lot of teams, have had trouble containing Cup. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I especially with the way that Cam Akers played last week, maybe this mm -hmm. is a situation where McVay does decide that his best chance is to put the ball in Matthew Stafford's hands. And he hasn't really mm -hmm. thought that a whole lot lately. So maybe that, maybe this is the week that he winds up doing that. Obviously, he did it very effectively for the first two and a half quarters of last week's game. So maybe I have to reevaluate my stance on Matthew Stafford completions, attempts, things of that sort. I do think that at this point in time, he probably goes back to Sony Michelle. So I'll try mm. to find some Sony Michelle props that are out there. Uh, nobody can guard Cooper Cup, but the problem is that his numbers are just <laughs> his so props high are, in, yeah. in the prop market. I mean, they're absolutely crazy. But you know, with that being said, I mean, you know, you, in in a game of this magnitude, you have to put the ball in the hands of your best players. And I think Cooper Cup is their best player on offense by probably a pretty large margin. So. Yeah. He's going to get his targets. He's going to get looked at. He's going to get his catches. He's going to get open, as he always does. But again, just keep in mind, you are paying a premium for that. And typically, that would draw me in the direction of looking at somebody else. But I don't know who. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's Tyler Higgins who, who winds up having a big game. You know, maybe. Blanton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Blanton gets the first <laughs> touchdown. He had, what, four catches all year? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and maybe, maybe to your point, maybe that's the wrinkle. Maybe that's what McVay has to do is, yeah. look, Cup is our number one guy, but we have a matchup we like with Van Jefferson or yeah. not just using OBJ as a downfield threat. You know, maybe those are the adjustments that have to be made. Maybe Cup does go under. I, I, there's so I many questions. I feel like he's been liking OBJ a lot lately. We've it, seen, yeah. Especially in the red zone. And, yeah. and and that's been a problem for the Rams throughout the season is they've had mm -hmm. issues in the red zone despite having all these different weapons. So, yeah, I think I'm going to look at Sony Michelle, you know, attempts over. That'll be one I'll take a look at, um, you know, see what the pricing's like on Cup and some of the other guys. But like I said, maybe maybe this does fall on Matthew Stafford's shoulders here. And that would be an interesting deviation from what we saw for the most part up until that Bucks game. So then the question has to be asked that everybody has in their mind about Matt Stafford as the way his season has transpired. No turnovers the last two games. Looked a little dicey for me at the end when he tried to rush it. <laughs> but do you think that this 49 – I think the 49ers are going to be able to put a lot more pressure on him than the Bucks were able to. So do we think that he's going to run into that old problem where he's going to be forced to make bad decisions? 
I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a possibility, and I think that's why Sean McVay, you know, with the division hanging in the balance and all that, I, I think that's why he focused more on the running game late in the season. Yeah. And, and so, the, like I said, that's the thing. I mean, the, the Rams have so many offensive questions to be a team in the NFC Championship game that I, I feel like anything could happen with the gameplay. Whatever he isolates as his best chance, I would hope that he'll try to do that. And up until the game actually gets started, I, I think it's all just speculation on our part. Yeah. We're gonna have to bet it live. That's just that's just the way I'm feeling now. I, yeah, and, and it's one I, of those I would things even... too where both of us like the under, right? And and if yeah. this game starts out in a way that maybe we didn't expect, because I like I said, I think it's a high variance game plan for the Rams. If they start throwing the football all over the place and the 49ers pass rush isn't getting there, our under is mm -hmm. dead and buried probably. Yeah. So we may have to find a, a decent number to live bet the over or something like that. Yeah. That's that's true. It's it's there's a lot of moving parts in this one, unfortunately, uh, and it might be in part just to the fact that the Rams are all in. They're built to win now, and they have so many options. It feels like so. Uh, if we look at the other game, uh, the Bengals are a little bit more cut and dry about what they're going to have to do, right? Bengals at the Chiefs. Chiefs a seven point favorite here. Total sitting at fifty four and a half. Uh, the last time these two teams played, the Bengals won. Burrow had four touchdowns. Mahomes had two touchdowns. Burrow had over. 440 passing yards insane do you think we're going to see something similar to this because i do i think we're going to see a shootout i actually am waiting to bet the under in this game and okay and i might because it's getting high this it, total is getting really high it is getting high i might just be an idiot that's completely possible <laughs> but i mean look when you think about it last week's game with the bills and the chiefs was what 54 55 was was pretty much where the total wound up settling and, and then closing and i fully understand 78 points were scored in that game. I completely get that. But also, there were 28 points scored in the fourth quarter, and then, of course, the overtime touchdown. So this was a game that was trending pretty normally for the first three quarters, and then everything just went haywire. I mean, Mahomes threw for, what, 177 yards after yeah. the two-minute warning? Like, I mean, it was just an absurd sequence of events. This game is totaled in pretty much the same area. And... The Bengals' offense is not the Bills' offense. As good as Joe Burrow is, those two offenses do not grade as you know similarly as this line would suggest. And also, too, I don't really think that the Chiefs want to play that kind of game here again. I think they expected to play that kind of game with Josh Allen and the Bills. I think they feel like they've got a better opportunity to slow down Cincinnati a little bit. Cincinnati will probably be more balanced. I think we'll see Joe Mixon run a little bit more. We didn't see a whole lot of running from the Bills at all whatsoever in that game. I just feel like from a line equity standpoint, this total opened 51. It's obviously been bet up a ton. I think 51, 51 and a half was probably a pretty good number here. But now we're going to see a total that's even higher than Bill's Chiefs last week. I, I don't think that that's the right way for this line to be trending. Yeah, it's tough to say because you mentioned what we kind of saw from Mahomes and how things were trending. And he's not the Patrick Mahomes of years past, right? And so... I don't know that we're going to see a ton, a ton of... I mean, he didn't throw anything over 20 yards, did he? No, a uh, lot of yards after catch. A lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot. So that that is something to consider, too, with this. Is it's not. I think people are just like, oh, it's the Chiefs, and they've won the Super Bowl all these times, and they always make it, and they're this good team. Uh, what do you think we're going to see from Andy Reid? Because he's been uniquely interesting with his play calling lately. He's always very creative. Yeah, he's very creative to be sure, and, and that's one of the reasons why the Chiefs are you know in the AFC Championship game for the fourth straight year. And look, I the one thing that I think is is pretty interesting about this game is mm -hmm. along with the two offenses being highly rated, and, and I can understand why. 
But the Bengals' defense, I think, is being a little bit disrespected in this game. You know, Buffalo's defense obviously was number one in yards per play, number one in a few other metrics. But they did play a pretty weak schedule at times. That was something that kind of allowed them to pad their numbers a little bit. You know, the Bengals don't play in a great offensive division. But, you know, you do have the great running game of the Browns. You've got when Lamar Jackson's healthy. He's obviously a very dynamic player. The Bengals' defense, I think, is actually better than people realize. And Lou Anarumo has put together a couple of very, very strong game plans so far. I know that the Raiders and the Titans are not the Chiefs. I understand that. But they've played <laughs> really, really well within the plan that they've put together. So for Mahomes and for Andy Reid here, you know, do you look for the same thing you looked for against the Bills, the, the short throws that you mentioned and just the explosive yards after catch from guys like Pringle and Hill and, you know, I mean, look, Kelsey runs that seam route from the tight end spot better than just about anybody. Is that what they want to do? Or do they want to, you know, do they get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back this week? That would be something I think that would kind of change the dynamics of their offense. You know, the Bengals, are they able to kind of contain everything, keep everything in front of them, unlike the Bills were able to do? I figure Andy Reid's probably going to call a, a similar of a game as he can. I just don't know if it's going to be as effective and the reality is it really wasn't super effective until that fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you about the Bengals' defense. I don't know that they're getting their fair share here. They have a really good pass rush, too, if you look at it. Um, and as far as comparing them to the Bills, they're going to be able to run a lot more, uh, of course, thanks to Joe Mixon. And the Chiefs' front seven is not going to be a bigger challenge than the Titans' one was. So I think that this is going to be a lot closer than people realize. And for that reason, I would rather have the points with the Bengals. I wish I got the seven and a half, truthfully, um, instead of a plus seven right now. But I think we're, gonna, we're in for a really tight game. You know, I think there's a chance if, if you stalk this line, I think there will be a book or two that go to mm -hmm. seven and a half just to sort of see what happens, to see if that's a buy point. I understand it's also going to encourage some Chiefs teaser action, which is something that you probably don't really want to get here. But I think we could see a book go to seven and a half, kind of float that balloon out there, see who's interested, see if it's a number that the sharp betters do want to take, and you know, kind of go from there. Just something to kind of throw that line out there, one of those test lines, and see if anybody bites. I think it's a possibility, especially seven and a half, like minus 120, minus 125, something like that, just to see kind of what happens. But you know, look, still a lot of time for this line to marinate. And, and like I said, I mean, since I'm looking at the under, and I think it'll be a lower scoring game than the expectation, I'd rather have the points. But, you know, we'll see what the numbers wind up giving us. Yeah. Well, one last thing here before I let you go. As far as props are concerned, is there anywhere that you would look for props in terms of how you think this game is going to play out? I do feel like the Bengals have seemed to struggle with tight ends, so maybe it's a Travis Kelsey day. It seems like it's always a Travis Kelsey day. Uh, but other than that, I haven't really seen anything that jumped out to me. Uh, you know, look, I, I think even though Burrow is such a dynamic player, and, and Zach Taylor may go into this game thinking the same way that Brian Dable did and just saying, look, we need to outscore this team to win. Like, that's it. We, they're going to get their 30 points. We just have to outscore them. So maybe they are very aggressive with Joe Burrow. They are aggressive taking shots downfield. Uh, I do think that they'll try to run Mixon a little bit more. Now, the Chiefs don't have an outstanding pass rush by any means, but they have enough of one. And obviously we saw Burrow take an absolute beating last week. So... Maybe they do try to play keep away, try to slow that pass rush down a little bit with Mixon. So maybe take a look at his attempts over something like that. Uh, maybe his receiving, uh, you know, his catches over because mm -hmm. Burrow is going to have to get rid of the football and, and try to not take as many of those hits because that's part of the problem against a bad oh, Titans offense. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, you can, you can kind of overcome 
having being in those third and longer situations, third medium situations, because your defense is probably going to get a stop and get you the ball back at least somewhere reasonable on the field. If you get into a lot of third and a millions against the Chiefs, it's much harder to stop them. So turn, you know, not getting those third down completions are a much bigger deal. So maybe you see Zach Taylor try to you know, tailor his series into getting the third and three, getting to third and four, instead of hoping Burrow makes a play on third and eight and third and nine because he was sacked on second down, something like that. So I think maybe we could see that shift a little bit from Taylor where maybe they try to you know, kind of play a little bit more, I'm going to call it game theory, but a little bit more of the game state type of thing of keeping this thing close, bunched up, slowed down, while also giving themselves the best chance at third and short, third and medium. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I don't think I'm bold enough to go under on this game with you, even though I agree. Like, I think that the total's getting a little bit out of hand. I do think that we're going to see things tighten up a little bit, um, but I'm too scared with this Burrow-Mahomes matchup probably to play that, um, and I'm probably just going to grab that seven and just hope and pray on that ticket. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's reasonable. Again, I mean, I'm going to wait until this line peaks on the total yeah. and then just sort of chalk it up to, like I said, I, I don't envision any kind of world where this total should be higher than Bill's Chiefs. I mean, it's yeah. just, it, to me, that, that just doesn't make sense. And maybe this game flies over, and, and I'll be dead wrong, but <laughs> just almost on principle alone. I think the value is going to be on the under. Right. Yeah, and, and no, yeah. One, no one will want to root for an under in this game. You know, I mean, no. people want to relive what we saw last weekend. So public money will overwhelmingly be on the over. The early weather forecast doesn't look all that bad in Kansas City, which is pretty nice. It can get windy there. Seems like it's going to be relatively tame. That'll probably encourage a little bit more over money. I, I'll be holding an under ticket and it'll probably lose. But, you know, on principle, I kind of have to do it. So under on, on both games, but you, which one do you like better? Oh, man. Oof. I... Just because we're gonna live bet the 49ers Rams, that's what we've decided on, right? In terms of the side, I think just, unders for both. Just because I feel like the Bengals Chiefs game is a little bit higher variance, I would say yeah. I like the under a little bit more in that Rams 49ers game. Uh, also, the you know, the recent returns on Garoppolo have, have been quite poor the last two weeks while yeah. battling those injuries. Yeah, that's true. All right, well. That does it. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I don't think we're in for as much excitement as we had last weekend, but we're going to have our Super Bowl contenders after this weekend. I have to ask real quick. So Rams would be hosting the Super Bowl, obviously, if they win the Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium. What do you what do you make of that? Because we just talked about how you know the 49ers had a significant crowd edge in week 18. The Rams had to use a silent snap count at home. Maybe they have to do it again here this weekend. I mean, is this just kind of like a who's who Hollywood were there because it's the Super Bowl kind of crowd if the Rams make it? Or will they actually have some measure of a home field advantage? I think it's a great question because I do think that why are you having to block ticket sales for this 49ers Rams game? Because people are only coming if you're winning. No one was expecting you to make it this far. Uh, it's just not a football city necessarily, unfortunately. I was actually telling Scott Seidenberg on the look ahead on Beeson last night um, that I got this poster here uh, on third street in Santa Monica the other day, they were giving them out and inside was also a ticket for a free rally towel. And I was like, they're recruiting fans for this game. Uh, so it just doesn't feel like it's a home game for this Rams team. Even when they're in so fine, it's kind of unfortunate because I mean, we've got to see Tom Brady play in, you know, in Florida for his, and it's not the same situation here. So it is a really interesting point because I have to wonder 
do the Rams have fans that are going to be excited for the Super Bowl game that are actual fans, or are they going to be recruiting, like you said, the Hollywood elite to come to this game? I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, look ahead lines are out there for the potential Super Bowl matchups. And, and look, I mean, I understand the 49ers have won six in a row. The Rams are still favored here. You know, the, the Rams are still favored to go to the Super Bowl at They're home. They're the better team. They should win this. Right. They are the better team. I completely agree with you. And so th- just kind of thinking ahead a little bit because, you know, I mean, there's two weeks to talk about every minute detail about the <laughs> Super Bowl. But just thinking ahead a little bit, if there's some line equity to grab something like that, you know, will these lines incorporate any kind of home field advantage for the Rams here? My answer is probably no. Yeah. I was I was shocked to see the line for this game, frankly. I thought if any of those points that they're getting are because they're at home, then no. It's, it's such an interesting talking point. It's, it, it's crazy. It's tough. I'm not from, trying to be tough on Rams fans, but like that's the reality. It's crazy to go from, like you said, I mean, Brady playing a Super Bowl at home with a you know very pro Buccaneers crowd to yeah. the Rams possibly doing it with a neutral or anti-home team crowd in, in the biggest game of the year. It's, it's crazy to think about. And if the Chiefs win, the Chiefs fans travel. They travel. Oh, so. it, it's cold in Kansas City right now. Why not go to L.A.? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much to Adam Berg, Beeson betting analyst. You can find him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. All right, coming up, men's college basketball, UCLA and USC. UCLA had a big game versus Arizona on Tuesday night. We'll recap it and look ahead to their next game, plus Stanford at USC on Thursday. That and more coming up next on the Los Angeles CityCast, presented by Bet Rivers. Looking for a hot tip to bet on? Check out the new match tips at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. The new tips feature gives you special insights on player props and match bets for the top tips of the day. Go to BetRivers before the game, find your match, and tap the tips icon to see independent research on recent team and player performance. Bet with confidence. Visit the BetRivers mobile app or go to BetRivers.com and get the top tips of the day. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Playable only in states where BetRivers is licensed and in New Jersey at Play Sugar House. Welcome back into the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet Rivers. I'm your host, Danielle Avari, just back from Arizona at UCLA. And let me tell you, there were a couple things that surprised me in this game, but I am sure glad uh, that I went full homer mode and took UCLA Moneyline because they just... The execution of this game from start to finish for UCLA was incredible. It's the kind of thing that we were expecting to see from this team, I think, from the beginning of the season based on what we saw at the end of last season. Um, I mean, four players put up double figures and scoring eight blocks. Like how did they have more blocks than this Arizona team that has two seven footers? Now they did definitely get out rebounded. And again, two seven footers, they're doing their best. It was interesting. Actually, uh, one of the VSIN hosts was tweeting during the game and said, why can't UCLA rebound? And I said, they have two seven-footers. They're doing their best. And it was shocking to me to actually see the numbers in the box score at halftime because they were battling for every single every single board. And so the fact that they didn't actually, you know, they got outboarded by quite a bit, actually. That If you factor that in with the fact that uh, Arizona shot so poorly, if Arizona was shooting well, then this is a very different game. I mean, they were shooting 29%. This was abysmal for this offense. I mean, lest we forget, Arizona was second in Ken Palm before this game. Uh, They were first in average possession length, eighth in adjusted offensive efficiency overall. 
And this was just a terrible, terrible showing for them offensively. Their two starting guards, zero. Zero for what, 17, I think, they combined for that. I mean, and it was actually <laughs> terrible, but funny, because the UCLA student section actually started chanting MVP after one of those guards, Kerr Krissa, missed his ninth three-pointer. He was 0-12 for the game. That's so embarrassing. I'm sorry. Like, no, I like I like I legit I feel bad for that's that's actually embarrassing. I feel really bad for him. Uh, and also, uh, side note, one of the best moments of the game for sure was Peyton Watson. He had two blocks. Uh, and I say moments because he has his moments. He's still very much a freshman. But he had this huge block that just the crowd erupted and um, it was just so fun to see because he really plays off the crowd as well. You can tell he's one of those. That's probably a young guy thing too, uh, but really loves to just make every minute that he's in there count. Um, he's so much fun to watch, but then, you know, right after that block turns around and misses a three-pointer and it was pretty funny. I think one Bruin fan actually tweeted about this and said, that's the most Peyton Watson thing to happen. And, and to what I'll say there is, Give it time because this guy is is freaky good. He's going to be good. He just, he's young. Uh, but that block was so much fun, so incredible. If you didn't see it, please check it out on Twitter. Such, such a cool play. Uh, but an impressive win overall for UCLA. And yes, Arizona shot completely horrendously. It just really out of character to the point where the total for this game ended up being 150, 150 and a half. And we talked about this, you know, I talked about this on Monday's show uh, that I thought that I leaned under because the two other times that these totals were around 150, so 156 and I believe 152 maybe, were versus Gonzaga and Marquette and that those went way under. And for some reason, UCLA's defense, I think that's what's happening here. I think UCLA's defense is getting undervalued in some of these spots because 150... Like, there's been very few games, I mean, what, maybe the Oregon game, that that's been a reality for this team and the Long Beach State. UCLA's defense, I said I was going to bet on UCLA's defense and their experience, and that's why I was leaning under. And, yeah, way under 150 is what ended up happening here. Even with Jalen Clark out for UCLA, that was announced moments before the game. He's one of their best defenders, and he wasn't even in the game. And it was fine because they all played his level of defense tonight. Um, I was really impressed from... Just across the board, there wasn't a single player who didn't play well for UCLA tonight. And unfortunately for Arizona, the shooting was terrible across the board. But UCLA's defense, especially their transitions defense, I would say, because we talk about UCLA's defense all the time, and I don't really go into the nitty-gritty of it, but that transition defense looked on like a different level in this game. And that's the kind of thing that they need to do on a consistent basis. So this was so great to be able to do this against a really good opponent. I mean, Ken Palm had them, like I said, second in their rankings and they dropped them down to third after this game. UCLA was 12th dropped back or dropped or rather rose to 10th in the Ken Palm rankings after this game. So that's, you know, UCLA's beat Arizona six straight times now, nine of the last 13. But let me tell you, Tommy Lloyd, first-year coach with Arizona, I said this in Monday's pod, and I after I saw this game, I believe it even more. This team is scary because of what Tommy Lloyd's been able to get them to look like in such a short amount of time that he's been there. The recruiting that he's done, the players he's brought in, and how good they've looked when they're a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. 
this is going to be a really good team over the next couple of years. They're, they're good now. I mean, they're good now. And the good news is if you are an Arizona fan and you're really upset about this, then UCLA gets to rematch in, what, eight, nine days uh, in Arizona. So we'll get to see this matchup again. And, and you can believe that Arizona is not going to shoot 29% again. I think they got to 30 because there was a dunk at the end. But truly horrendous, truly horrendous. Um, and shout out to Jaime Hawkins Jr. too, kind of took over in the second half in terms of scoring, which I've talked about, I've kind of harped on a little bit, that UCLA needs to have that second scorer. And I think that Jaime kind of stepped up there. Johnny, of course, did his thing, Johnny Juzang. But yeah, just an overall great effort, like really, really great basketball films tonight. Yes, they got beat on the boards. That is going to be a problem when they face Arizona again in Arizona when it's not a friendly crowd. And... Arizona's shooting better. You can't get outboarded like that, but I get it because th- seriously, one of their players was the biggest college basketball player I've ever seen in person, like in, in all my years. It, he looked like he, he was like the same height as Miles Johnson, but he looked like he could bench press Miles Johnson. So that was uh, terrifying, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, all in all, I think Arizona looked like a young team, and that's why... Sometimes you hear people say, bet on the experienced team. That, that's a perfect example uh, because UCLA wasn't the bigger team. They weren't the necessarily more talented team, uh, but they were older. They'd been in these situations more. And then that defense, man, Mick Cronin knows what he's doing over there. So I think this is really exciting because I think this is a really high period that we're going into with Pac-12 basketball. So I love that there's a lot of uh, really good teams at the top here and that UCLA gets to play uh, Gonzaga Jr. again in a couple days. I'm sorry, that's <laughs> that's just that's just some Tommy Lloyd humor. But yeah, I think Arizona looks a lot like Gonzaga now, the way that team is ran, and that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing for them. So scary, scary future for that team, or at least for the people who have to play them. And UCLA, impressive win. Cover, they were two-and-a-half-point dogs, three, three-point dogs in some spots. They cover, uh, that's... I mean, they were 1-6 and six ATS in their last seven before this game. I've been saying this. The books kind of don't seem to know what they're going to get from UCLA because UCLA kept winning but not really covering. So they weren't living up to necessarily what the expectation was. And today they blew my expectations out of the water. Um, and what else can you say? They had a really great game and Arizona did not. We'll see what happens again in a week. This Pac-12 is so tough. Uh, Stanford also... At USC on Thursday, that's going to be the game going on. Uh, USC coming off that win versus Arizona State on Monday. We talked about that a little bit on Monday's pod. And, of course, like I said, USC uh, going to be able to cover pretty much anything in front of them. They won that game 78-56. to Yeah. And now they're hosting Stanford, the team that dealt them their first loss not but, what, six games ago? Uh, So you better believe they're going to be highly motivated. That game goes on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific time. I think Stanford is a very tough team to handicap because they can hang in there with good teams. Uh, There's enough talent there. Uh, There's enough, this, you know, the programs ran well, but I do think that USC is going to (laughs) be, be pretty upset with them, you know, Uh, coming back to do a little bit more damage than they did the first time. Uh, Stanford did a good job of making them play their version of, of ball. And I think that SC is going to pick the pace back up, kind of push them, get them off kilter. I think we could see a higher scoring game here. 
I believe that they lost 75 to 69 in the first match, uh, but they didn't even look like themselves really in that game. So maybe similar to what we're talking about with Arizona. I think that when Arizona sees UCLA next, they're obviously going to look very different. <laughs> we hope, we hope they don't have that happen to them again. Um, and so I think that we're going to see a little uh, bit more of what it should have looked like, I guess, for USC versus Stanford in the first round. Um, also, they were on the road there. That game was rescheduled. There was COVID stuff going on. So I don't know how much of that was a factor as well for USC. But I think I feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to get this one done, maybe look at an over. Uh, their defense has been, you know, locking it down a little bit more. But I'm not convinced that USC has just been disciplined enough to kind of get this where it needs to be on the defensive side of things. So all of that to say, I think that USC is going to uh, probably cover. It depends how big this number is, but I think they'll be able to cover. Uh, if it's, you know, if we're approaching double digits, which it should not be, then yeah, maybe I look to Stanford there. Uh, and as far as his total, probably looking at it over. Stanford shooting, usually good for at least 70 points or so. And again, it depends on who, how USC's defense is, is operating, but not expecting them to be locking them down in any way. But if we learned anything tonight, it's that the Pac-12 is very surprising. It's very surprising. So uh, that's kind of what's coming down the pipeline. UCLA is hosting Cal on Thursday. Not a game that I'm super excited to, to bet on because I'm assuming it will be a pretty big spread, probably a double-digit spread. And Cal is a team that's so low for me in the Pac-12 and just overall that UCLA should be able to cover a double-digit spread, especially the, coming off this Arizona win, if this is turning the corner, if this is the UCLA team we're going to see on a more consistent basis. Uh, but not not something I would want to lay, not something that's exciting for me. Uh, but maybe there's, there's something to be said for an in-game play or a total on that game. So all things to consider. But all things considered, this was a pretty fun night if you're a UCLA fan. Not so much if you are an Arizona fan. That's how it goes, though. We'll have another one to talk about, like I said, in just about a week. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Los Angeles CityCast. Remember, new shows three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So you know what to do. Follow the pod, share the pod, leave a rating, or just live your life. Uh, and feel free to tweet at me, at Danielle Alvari. I'll be back for more fun and games on Friday's show. So come on back for more of the Los Angeles CityCast. We're going to bring on Stormy Bonatoni. The 49ers are her team. They're playing the Rams. We're going to get her takes on that all on the Friday show. So come on back for more of that. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.